0: Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a Captain and Ginger Ale. What do you have, Del?
1: I am drinking a Virgin Mojito, and on this week's episode, we're going to look at the QAnon conspiracy that has taken over right-wing politics. The idea behind this is that a group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles mainly consisting of what they see as elitist Democrats, politicians, journalists, entertainment moguls, and other institutional figures control much of what they term the deep state government. The deep state is focused on undermining former President Trump with the aid of the media and entertainment outlets. In order to comprehensively discuss this topic, we are gonna be talking about very sensitive topics, including child abuse and suicide. Although the Q and QAnon is still a mystery, Q has been described as a high-ranking military officer, a group of people, or even Donald Trump himself. The idea can be traced back to Tracy Diaz and two 4chan moderators with the screen names of Pamphlet Anon and Baruch the Scribe. Diaz is a YouTube creator who releases videos related to right-wing politics, including Pizzagate and the WikiLeaks release. They stated their goal was to build a large following for QAnon to expose the satanic and pedophilic activities of left-wingers and their policies. On November 3rd, 2017, just six days after the first 4chan post from Q, Diaz posted a video entitled Q Anon Is This Hashtag Happening?, in which she introduced the conspiracy to her audience. In order to reach a more mainstream audience, QAnon moved to Reddit. There, they were able to amass a large following, which moved with them to Facebook and eventually 8chan. 8chan is an offshoot of 4chan, and it is said to be darker and with less rules than its parent form. Pamphlet Anon, whose real name is Coleman Rogers, had developed larger plans. Within a month, Rogers, 31, and his wife, Christina Yurso, 29, had launched the Patriot Soapbox a round-the-clock live-streamed YouTube channel for QAnon study and discussion. Rogers and Yurso use their channel to call for donations that are accepted through PayPal, cryptocurrencies, or mail. Rogers' Facebook page shows that he has been active in internet politics and a staunch supporter of Donald Trump during the 2016 campaign self-identifying as part of the meme war, which is the creation and dissemination of images and internet-style commentary that internet agitators on the chance and Reddit credit with Trump's win. Rogers often posted memes about liberal tears, as well as the ludicrous claims that Democrats murdered children and worshipped Satan, details similar to those that would eventually form the QAnon theory.
0: So then the question becomes, where does Donald Trump fit into the QAnon conspiracy? QAnon supporters believe that Donald Trump is waging war on the deep state through the exposing of the media, Democrats, and other people they consider the elites. The term deep state is a way to describe a shadow or parallel system of government in which unofficial or publicly unacknowledged individuals play important roles in defining and implementing a country's policies. As early as March 2017, then White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer acknowledged that the administration did indeed believe in the existence of a deep state. Social media and opinion polls indicate there are at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who believe in at least some of the bizarre theories offered up by QAnon. So let's dive into the specific claims that QAnon makes. The main theories that QAnon centers itself around is that the Democrats are elites and evil, Jewish people run the world through controlling banks and the media, and that Donald Trump is the savior of the United States. One of the most ludicrous beliefs they hold is the Pizzagate conspiracy. In March 2016, the personal email account of John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, was hacked in a phishing attack. WikiLeaks published his emails in November 2016. Proponents of the Pizzagate conspiracy falsely claimed the emails contained coded messages that connected several high-ranking Democratic Party officials and U.S. restaurants with an alleged human trafficking and child sex ring. One of the establishments allegedly involved was the Comet Ping Pong Pizzeria in Washington, D.C. As Pizzagate spread, Comet Ping Pong received hundreds of threats from the theory's believers. The restaurant's owners and staff were harassed and threatened on social media websites, and the owner received death threats. In an interview with NPR on November 27, 2016, Comet Ping Pong owner James Elephantis referred to the conspiracy theory as, quote, an insanely complicated, made-up, fictional, lie-based story, end quote, and a coordinated political attack. On December 10, 2016, the New York Times published an article that analyzed the theory's claims. Pizzagate theorists claimed an underground network beneath Comet Ping Pong The restaurant has no basement, however, and the picture used to support this claim was taken in another facility. They also claimed to have a picture of restaurant owner Aliphantus wearing a t-shirt endorsing pedophilia. However, the image was of another person and the shirt, which read J'adore L'Enfant, was actually a reference to the L'Enfant Cafe bar in D.C., whose owner was pictured in the image and which itself is named after Pierre Charles L'Enfant, the designer of much of the layout of Washington, D.C.
1: There have been several attacks on the business involved in this conspiracy. On December 4, 2016, Edgar Madison Welsh, a 28-year-old man from Salisbury, North Carolina, arrived at Comet Ping Pong and fired three shots from an AR-15-style rifle that struck the restaurant's walls, a desk, and a door. Welsh later told police that he had planned to, quote, self investigate, end quote, the conspiracy theory. Welsh told police that he had read online that the Comet restaurant was harboring child sex slaves and that he wanted to see for himself if they were there. On January 25, 2019, Comet Ping Pong suffered an arson attack when a fire was started in one of its back rooms. Employees quickly extinguished the blaze and no one was injured. In November 2016, Michael Flynn, then on President-elect Donald Trump's transition team and Trump's designated national security advisor, posted multiple tweets on Twitter containing conspiratorial material related to Hillary Clinton. They alleged that Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta, drank the blood and bodily fluids of other humans and satanic rituals, which political says, quote, soon morphed into the Pizzagate conspiracy theory involving comic ping pong. After the shooting incident at Comic Ping Pong, Michael Flynn Jr., Michael T. Flynn's son, and also a member of Trump's transition team, tweeted, quote, Until hashtag Pizzagate is proven to be false, it'll remain a story. The left seems to forget hashtag Podesta emails and the many coincidences tied to it, end quote. In 2020, Pizzagate merged into QAnon and broadened its scope to include prominent celebrities that support the Democrat Party. This included people such as Bill Gates, Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey, and Christy Teagan. Justin Bieber's 2020 song Yummy was alleged to be about the conspiracy theory. A related conspiracy theory known as, quote, frazzle rip emerged in 2018 falsely claiming that an extreme snuff film recovered from Anthony Weiner's stolen laptop and circulated on the dark web, showed Hillary Clinton and Huma Aberdeen raping and murdering a young girl, drinking her adrenochrome-rich blood in a satanic ritual, and taking turns wearing the girl's face like a mask.
0: The belief that the Clintons are evil and satanic is prevalent in other beliefs that QAnon holds. This includes the belief that the Clintons are directly responsible for more than 50 deaths. Such accusations have been around at least since the 90s, when a film called The Clinton Chronicles, produced by Larry Nichols and promoted by Reverend Jerry Falwell, accused Bill Clinton of multiple crimes, including murder. The following are some examples and the facts behind them. C. Victor Razor II was National Finance Co-Chairman for Bill Clinton. He died in a plane crash along with his son and three others on July 30, 1992, during a fishing trip. Conspiracy theorists believe the crash to have been deliberately caused, yet the National Transportation Safety Board stated factors related to the accident were mountainous terrain and a low ceiling. Mary Mahone was a White House intern who, in the early summer of 1997, was gunned down outside a Starbucks in the Georgetown suburb of Washington, D.C. The robber entered the store and shot Mahone after she attempted to take his gun. He then shot the other two Starbucks employees and fled, afraid the cops would show up. Deputy White House Counsel Vincent W. Foster was found dead in Fort Marcy Park in Virginia outside Washington, D.C., on July twentieth, 1993. An autopsy determined that he was shot in the mouth and no other wounds were found on his body. His death was ruled a suicide by five official investigations. The unsolved 2016 murder of Democratic National Committee staff member Seth Rich prompted conspiracy theorists to speculate that Hillary Clinton arranged his death. The theory was based on a Fox News report later retracted that Rich had been responsible for WikiLeaks' release of DNC emails during the 2016 United States presidential campaign. Various elements of this theory have been promoted by prominent right-wing figures, including Alex Jones, Newt Gingrich, and Sean Hannity. Convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein being held on federal charges. Of child sex trafficking was found dead in his cell at the high-security Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan on August 10, 2019. An official autopsy later declared it suicide by hanging. Hours after Epstein's death, Trump retweeted claims that Epstein's death was related to Clinton, including the hashtag #ClintonBodyCount. Lynn Patton, a Trump appointee at HUD, said, "Hillaryed," and used the hashtag. Vince Foster Part 2 in an Instagram post about Epstein's death. QAnon also believes that the Mueller investigation is actually a counter-coup led by Trump who pretended to conspire with Russia in order to hire Mueller to secretly investigate the Democrats. They think the CIA installed North Korean leader Kim Jong-un as a puppet ruler. The Rothschild family leads a satanic cult, and typically the allegations revolve around investigators using existing satanic cults to lure and blackmail left-wing activists.
1: The last false belief of QAnon that we are going to discuss is their belief that Donald Trump did not lose the 2020 United States presidential election to then-Vice President Joe Biden. To fully examine this claim, we need to give some background. In March of 2020, the country started shutting down non-essential businesses and services due to COVID. They also recommended limiting crowd sizes and wearing masks to slow the spread. This caused people to start thinking about how to safely carry out elections, specifically the general election that was scheduled for November 3rd. The safest option was to allow people to vote by mail. Five states, Colorado, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, and Washington were already carrying out all-male ballot elections. This was extended to other states, including California, New Jersey, Nevada, and Vermont. The rest of the states had some degree of absentee voting allowed, including ones that required a valid reason. Since the pandemic and adherence to CDC guidelines have become a very partisan issue, Many political analysts predicted that the Democrats would primarily be voting by mail and Republicans would be voting in person in the states that they could. They added that this means on election night, it could appear that Trump was winning while states that were still counting mail-in ballots. And they also theorized that the results would not be available that night. The analysts were right about both of these things as Trump was leading at the end of election night and Biden wasn't projected as the winner of the 2020 election until November 7. This followed the past tradition of media outlets calling elections and projecting a winner. In past elections, the loser would then call the winner to congratulate them and then publicly concede and call for unity. This is not what happened in 2020 with Trump claiming that there was voter fraud and that mail-in voting was unconstitutional. He had started saying this before the election, stating that if he lost, it was because of fraud. He was aided in this by former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, Senators Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, and a host of representatives and media personalities specifically from OANN and Newsmax. Trump and his allies specifically focused on Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Their claims followed the same pattern that in each of these states there was fraud. They will often say that dead people voted, people voted multiple times, ballot for Trump was thrown out, and that laws that allowed mail-in ballots did not go through the proper channels like going through the state's Congress. They accused governors, both Democratic and Republican, of working against Trump voters and suppressing their vote. There was no basis for these claims and no evidence was presented proving it. This did not matter to QAnon. Many mainstream Republicans, such as then-Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, continued to support these claims. This was until the Electoral College certified the election results, with Biden winning 306 votes and Trump winning 232 votes. Many view this as the final hurdle to cross, especially since Trump's team had lost over 60 court cases, including one that was petitioned by the state of Texas to the Supreme Court.
0: The final process for the presidential election in the United States is for Congress to certify the vote. This was scheduled for January 6, 2021. It includes the vice president reading the votes and does allow for the members of Congress to object. Then-Vice President Mike Pence indicated he would not object. He noted he did not have the constitutional authority to challenge the Electoral College votes. Senator Josh Hawley stated he would object, and all that was needed was a member of the House of Representatives to object with him. Many representatives came forward to support Hawley. He also gained support in the Senate from Ted Cruz and then-Senator Kelly Loeffler. They planned to object to Pennsylvania, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Michigan. At the same time of the certification, President Trump and his allies held a rally under the slogan, Stop the Steal, in the ellipse outside the National Mall. During his speech, Trump stated they would go down to the Capitol. The certification started as normal, with both houses certifying Alabama and Alaska. While the Houses were separately considering an objection to accepting Arizona's electoral votes that had been raised by Representative Paul Gosser and endorsed by Senator Ted Cruz, the Trump supporters, including QAnon adherents and Proud Boys, stormed the Capitol building. This ended with five people dead, including Ashley Babbitt, who was shot while trying to enter a restricted area. She was a known follower of QAnon and a Trump supporter. Mitch McConnell and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi strongly condemned the attacks and vowed that the certification would not be delayed any longer. Many people, including Loeffler, stated they would no longer support rejecting the electoral votes, so the only other state that was objected to was Pennsylvania. At 3.41 a.m. on January 7th, Congress confirmed the outcome of the electoral college vote. Biden's 306 votes to Trump's 232, with Pence declaring that Biden and Harris would take office on January 20th.
1: So, Jenny, the QAnon conspiracy is one of the things that has affected the political realm in a way that I don't think most people anticipated. There are several members of Congress that believe in the conspiracy, such as Marjorie Taylor Greene. What are your thoughts about this wild conspiracy?
0: Uh, reading all of that stuff we just said was like kind of embarrassing, honestly. To think that people so vehemently believe this information and QAnon really worries me. I really didn't know that many details about it before you chose this case, Del. But like, my mind is blown and not in a good way. We've seen a lot of everyday people getting wrapped up in this, and there's no facts to support any of these conspiracies and claims, and they're clearly very dangerous, it needs to be addressed. We can't just sit by and have elected officials say they support these baseless allegations. There's so much power, in my opinion, in just denouncing these ridiculous allegations. Because sometimes for people, that is all they need. Just someone higher up to say, this is not right, this information is wrong, and you shouldn't believe it. Like I said, even saying this stuff out loud just feels so uneducated and and silly. And I think that followers of QAnon do give conspiracy theorists a bad name. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Like I said, we've seen a lot of people get wrapped up in this. And it just really goes to show the importance of looking into where you're getting information from and knowing how to cite your sources. And I definitely think that we should question the government and the wealthy and people in charge. But I think the QAnon followers are very misguided what they are following and choosing to believe. What about you?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you said. And I think this conspiracy is batshit crazy. It has no basis in reality and aims to divide the country even more than it already is. And really, it's so wild to me that Republicans have not done more to control this element of their party. I don't know why they think having QAnon adherents in their party makes them look good, it doesn't. It makes them look like they don't know what they're talking about. It makes them look like they're sore losers, and it makes them look like they will believe anything that's said to them as long as Donald Trump agrees. And if the Republican Party continues to be the party of Trump and not the party of the people that they're supposed to be fighting for, they're going to have a very hard time regaining power.
0: I'm no political analyst, but I do think that is what's going to happen. You're going to have this very, I would say, radical realm of the Republican Party that do believe this stuff and spread this information. And then the people that are maybe a little more... I guess, traditional politicians, maybe like Mitch McConnell. But I feel like I can't even say that because he wasn't saying anything about it for so long. I know that he recently said that um, Marjorie Taylor Greene believed in like loony lies or something. But I think he called stuff like this a cancer in the Republican Party. But it's going to bite them in the ass, like you're saying. Because they clearly do just want to do whatever will keep them in power, whatever appeals to their supporters. So if it's saying crazy stuff like shootings didn't actually happen and that Trump is our savior then they'll do that and it makes them look very spineless and i by no means think that democrats are perfect and you know we should trust all of them but i don't see them out here believing these wild conspiracy theories and telling their supporters to believe them
1: right and i think it all goes to degrees of maliciousness because They were all fine with the, quote, stop to steal claims until it wasn't politically expedient for them anymore. They were totally fine saying they love to use the term voter irregularities instead of saying voter fraud because fraud is something harder to prove. But just doing that, you were giving fuel to the fire. You were giving them an outlet and a voice and seemingly giving them your support and then you know you do the 180 when reality finally sets in for you, and you know that Trump is no longer going to be president. Then you're like, okay, I don't need him anymore. He's not president. Why am I going to follow him? Mitch McConnell currently is the highest ranking Republican, and now he has the confidence to say people like Marjorie Taylor Green are loonies, and that the Q and conspiracy is a cancer to Republicans. That would have been really nice to hear six months ago.
0: I really hope that people in America, regardless of what side you're on, can see through this. Because to me, I think it's frankly insulting the way some of these Republican leaders have flipped-flopped back and forth. And they are very clearly doing what is convenient for them to save their asses. And I want people to say to them, no, we're not going to buy that anymore. We know what you said four years ago all your support. We know you were quiet about the, all the terrible things Donald Trump did this whole time. And now that he's finally out of power, you can say, well, you know, I don't agree with that. How do they really think that makes them look? They're not some hero.
1: I do agree better late than
0: never, but it's still kind of bullshit at the same time.
1: Right. Well, it reminds me a lot of the mask um, situation, like where they're like, we're not going to wear them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to wear them. Well, it would have been nice for you to do that months ago where it could have made a really big difference. You doing it now, okay, yes, better late than never, but you have to acknowledge the harm you did in delaying your acceptance of it. And I don't feel like they have.
0: I agree. And the exact same thing with the vaccines. They were like the first in line to get these vaccines.
1: So we're going to start this episode's discussion by looking at something that is at the core of most QAnon believers, and that is the victimhood complex. Of course, people of all political ideologies can have it, but QAnoners take their supposed victimhood to the ultimate extremes. In clinical psychology, a victim complex describes a personality trait of persons who believe that they are constantly the victim of the harmful actions of others, even when made aware of evidence to the contrary. We all feel um, episodes of guilt and shame, but someone that has a very strong victimhood complex, they think that everything is against them. Everyone is against them. If you disagree with me, it's because you personally want to do me harm. And they also feel like their feelings need to be the center of the world. They're always looking for someone bigger or something bigger. They always want to feel like they can grab someone who understands their victimhood. And for QAnoners, that person was Donald Trump.
0: We see Donald Trump really play into a lot of people's fear and vulnerability and say he's going to make things better for people. And a lot of people obviously believe that. And a lot of people still do believe that, that he changed the world for them. And him acknowledging QAnon and basically saying, like, yeah, I know how much they love me. That's him kind of stroking their egos and making them feel good about themselves. I mean, it's your leader telling you you're doing a great job and I'm so happy to have you on my side. I would make anybody feel good.
1: Right, I definitely agree. And unfortunately, the victim mentality leads people to become insular and fall into their own echo chambers. This has created extremes on both sides of the political spectrum. So we're going to look at two examples, one on the right wing which is the Proud Boys, and one on the left wing, which is Antifa. Founder of the Proud Boys, Gavin McGuinness, describes them as a pro-Western group dedicated to male bonding, socializing, and the celebration of all things related to Western culture. They were formed in 2006 and are typically seen wearing black and yellow Fred Perry polo shirts. And they go through a four-level initiation process. The first level is an initiate must publicly state, quote, I am a proud Western chauvinist. I refuse to apologize for creating the modern world, End quote. Level two is that the initiate must endure a beating by his comrades while reciting the names of five breakfast cereals. This is to demonstrate adrenaline control. And in a leaked video, it showed that the ritual was actually far less violent than what McKinnis was describing when he was sort of bragging about how boisterous and how strong and how violent these uh, initiation rituals were. Initiates are also told to limit masturbation to once per month. And the idea behind this ban is that they believe porn is making men weak and keeping them from forming real relationships with women. At the third level, initiate must get a proud voice tattoo. And they have some common variants. It's just getting like proud boys tattooed on you or P-O-Y-P, which is proud of your boy. Also, sometimes they get the Swahili word for freedom. And the last level is an honorary degree awarded for, quote, a material sacrifice or service by a brother, end quote. McKenna said in an interview that the fourth degree is awarded for a, quote, major fight for the cause. You get beat up, kick the crap out of, an Antifa, end quote. But he later backpedaled, saying it, quote, obviously doesn't mean you go to someone's house or even pick a fight with one at a rally. Fourth degree is a consolation prize for being thrust into a shitty situation and surviving, end quote. Jason Kessler, was the primary organizer of the deadly 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. And that was the one where, unfortunately, a young lady was ran over. And he is a former Proud Boy. McGinnis has repeatedly advocated brutal tactics when dealing with the Proud Boy's sworn enemy, anti-fascist counter-protesters, otherwise known as Antifa.
0: So like Dell said on the far left, I guess you would say, is Antifa. Antifa is a loose collection of groups, networks, and individuals who believe in active, aggressive opposition to far right-wing movements. Their ideology is rooted in the assumption that the Nazi party would never have been able to come to power in Germany if people had more aggressively fought them in the streets in the 1920s and 30s. Most people who show up to counter or oppose white supremacist public events are peaceful demonstrators, but when Antifa show up, as they frequently do, they can increase the chances that an event may turn violent. Antifa have expanded their definition of fascist and fascism to include not just white supremacists and other extremists, but also many conservatives and supporters of President Trump. Away from rallies, they engage in doxing, which is exposing their adversaries' identities, addresses, jobs, and other private information. This can lead to their opponents being harassed or losing their jobs, among other consequences. Different localities have Antifa populations of different strengths, but Antifa are also sometimes willing to travel hundreds of miles to oppose a white supremacist event. And in 2020, Donald Trump tweeted and called them a terrorist group. Uh, I think they were the subject of a lot of tweets he sent out last year. I did want to mention that we are comparing and contrasting them just as extreme opposites um, and in beliefs. Um, I don't know if they're really comparable otherwise, just because Antifa is anti-racist, anti-fascist, anti-Nazism, things of that nature. And on the other hand, the Proud Boys are pro-Western civilization, pro-Christianity, and anti-socialism.
1: You know, I will say that one way they are comparable is that they tend to use the same tactics. Both of them are okay with using violence to push their message.
0: I will say, like, as fun as it is to see a Nazi get punched in the face or a white supremacist, it is kind of a slippery slope, in my opinion, with the use of violence. I personally, I just, I don't know if I can say, like, I support this, but then I don't support that. It's very tricky. I don't expect anyone to have, you know, like, a correct answer. I also don't really love doxing. Like, I'm fine with maybe getting people's names out there, but I don't think putting someone's address on the internet is fine even if they are a Nazi, a white supremacist, anything like that.
1: Right. And I think it harkens back to the First Amendment, because if you have the right to say that you hate this, you hate this group of people, then someone on the opposite end of you also has the right to say what they hate. And unfortunately, a lot of times what you see with Antifa and the Probably Boys is that they want to condemn people for exercising their First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah, and I know that that is also like another slippery slope with like, should hate speech be protected by the First Amendment? I wanted to say too, I think that the violence does lead to this victimhood complex we talked about. People will just say on the right for this example, having that like, poor me, poor us, everyone's attacking us. We got to go out there and do something about it kind of mentality.
1: I definitely agree with you. And I think one of the worst things that you can do if you consider someone an adversary is feed into their victimhood complex by giving them examples that they can use against you. So, I remember during one of the Antifa protests, they ended up beating up a journalist and putting him in the hospital. And of course, People that were on the right was able to use that as an example of how violent Antifa was because it's like, look, we have it on video. We have them beating up a journalist that just was questioning why they were there and what they were fighting for.
0: But you mentioned journalism and that segues us into our next topic, which is how the media plays a role in all of this, including the victimhood complex.
1: Definitely, because depending on which side you're on, your news and thus your views on these groups and others like it can be very biased. So the first thing is the different framing devices that the media uses when looking at the different aspects of things like protests, crime, and other statistics.
0: Sometimes we'll see criminals referred to as thugs, and sometimes we'll see Criminals refer to as like fine young gentlemen that are just having emotional issues. We also see the media really loving the drama of everything at protests and using that for ratings and profit. They tend to focus on the most radical looking people, whether that's someone with a crazy sign, someone with, you know, dressed in all black, anything like that. And because of this, a lot of the peaceful moments at protests are overlooked for violence, property damage, and people just acting crazy. There's also something called an outlier bias, which is when a small group of violent protesters dominates news coverage. And this spectacle that the media creates brings in ratings, like we said. And the media... They're working to get news out as soon as possible. They don't have time to, unfortunately, get all the facts and hear everyone's perspective on something. So they tend to rely on official sources, and those official sources tend to be law enforcement, so police officers. So we'll often see protests from a law enforcement officer's perspective. So that would be how much violence there was, how much arrest there was, how much backlash against the police there was. Anything like that. And that's easier for them to make a short segment out of. Also, protests are notoriously difficult for journalists and news to cover because they are disorganized and there's not often a leader present. And because we're only getting information from law enforcement or certain people in the protests or Audiences are only seeing actions of these outliers, that affects how the average audience member views protests in general, but also the people that support or are against whatever the topic at hand is.
1: Yeah, and normally, how a network decides to frame a certain event, it really can be divided into the right wing category and the left wing category. So, in the right wing, you have things like Fox News, O8NN, Newsmax, and on the left wing, You have most of the mainstream media. If you look at ABC, NBC, CBS, you also have cable news networks such as MSNBC and CNN. And each of them can look at the exact same event. And based off the narrative that they want to sell, that is what you get.
0: Something kind of related um, that I remember a professor of mine talking about in college. He just gave this example of, say there's a photo of President Obama And it looks like he's kicking a dog. So someone that is more supportive of President Obama would maybe say, oh, no, like he didn't he didn't mean to kick the dog. The dog was just there. Or maybe the dog was attacking one of his daughters and he had to get the dog off them to save them. But then someone that doesn't like him would say, you know, he was kicking that dog. He's so violent. He's a terrible person. And this is reflected in all of his policies. It's pretty much that easy. Everyone is biased in some regard in their life. And sometimes when we see someone that we do like doing something that we don't like or don't agree with, we get cognitive dissonance, which is just kind of a discomfort that we get from thinking someone is acting one way and then in reality they're acting another.
1: QAnon and other connected conspiracy theories spread because most people have some level of conspiratorial thinking. This is not necessarily a bad thing. Jenny and I love conspiracies and both of us are interested in theories that question the official narrative. The problem usually involved is people believing in harmful conspiracies that have a negative effect on people's lives. For me, I love conspiracies, like I said, and I tend to love conspiracies that are jovial in nature. It's something where if you believe it, It's funny. It's like, haha, okay, I get it that you believe that. But you believing that is not actually going to take something away from someone else. So I count this as like flat Earth, the moon landing was fake, aliens, and even stuff connected to the royal family.
0: I love anything related to aliens. I love hearing people's stories. I definitely believe that aliens are here, have been here, they're like hanging out with us. But I've looked into things and I don't believe everything that I read. And I think that's not to say that I'm better than someone believing, you know, in the QAnon conspiracies, but I think there really is an importance to questioning what you're being told and knowing what sources to trust. I'm not just going to trust someone on a message board, but I would maybe trust a news site or a scientist who's writing a book about his experience with NASA.
1: Right, and that goes to the other side of conspiratorial thinking, and that's the harmful side. And things within this category include denying the effectiveness of vaccines or that claiming that vaccines cause illnesses, HIV AIDS denialism, Holocaust denialism, and claiming that mass shooting incidents are false flags. And just to give some more detail about why these are harmful. So the vaccine conspiracy theories, the harm is very obvious in that it causes people not to be vaccinated and diseases that were previously eradicated come back, such as measles. The HIV AIDS denialism is when someone doesn't believe that the HIV virus actually causes AIDS and this could lead them not seeking treatment for a disease that in today's age is entirely, one, preventable, and two, treatable as long as you seek medical help and you stay on your medication regimen. The Holocaust denialism is definitely tied to a lot of anti-Semitic thinking, and it could lead people to see Jewish people as evil and less than, which then leads to a lot of hate crimes. Jewish people remain The group that sees the highest level of hate crimes in America. And unfortunately, in a lot of European countries, people have started to elect people who deny the Holocaust. And thus, you have a situation like you had in the 1930s and 40s, where you have people blaming Jews for all the problems and claiming that Jews are controlling everything, like we talked about before. Then you have people like Alex Jones that believe that mass shootings are false flags. This ranges from the Parkland shooting to the Sandy Hook shooting to the Las Vegas shooting. And they always tie this back to the evil Democrats trying to take away people's rights, which caused people to buy more guns, which puts people in greater jeopardy and it also causes them to vilify Democrats and makes it harder for us to come together as a country because we're always thinking that the other side is trying to take something away from us.
0: And to that specifically, what stricter gun legislation has happened in the past 10 years? Nothing I can think of.
1: Not at all. It's one of those things where it's been debunked so many times And the question remains, should we have stricter gun laws? I would say yes. Anything that prevents someone from being able to access a deadly weapon and use that deadly weapon to attack anyone, I will support any law that does that.
0: I agree. And I think at the heart of it, we're just asking people to be responsible. We're not infringing on anyone's right. I mean, I will say, I don't understand why you need like 10 automatic weapons. Like you said, Del, you and I love conspiracies and- we do question things. I mean, we did a live stream episode on the JFK assassination. People love that conspiracy. I think many people in America think it was some type of inside job. That's like a pretty commonly accepted uh, conspiracy and theory. And that involves a former president of the country. And in some regards, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if crazy stuff was going on with the government. We did another um conspiracy live stream on Bohemian Grove. And if We found out tomorrow that they were, like, sacrificing children or something at Bohemian Grove. I don't know how surprised I would be, but I'm also not letting it consume my life. I know that there is no factual evidence to say that. It's just, like, hearsay. I think that you can really make a conspiracy out of anything if you're, you know, trying to connect all of these dots that who knows if they exist. It can be very dangerous for people individuals and the public at large.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that having a certain level of conspiratorial thinking is good. It means you're skeptical. It means that if someone tells you something, you're finding a second source, you're finding a third source. But like you said, when it becomes your life, when it becomes all consuming, when it's causing you mental anguish, because you think everyone is after you, I feel like you need to take a step back, and you need to really think about why you are listening to all these conspiracies. What are you running from? What truth are you trying to hide from that leads you to believe the worst in the people around you, especially people that are politically opposite of you?
0: I know a lot of people really like to ridicule and mock QAnon believers. I don't think they're mentally ill. I think there's just a lot of very vulnerable people, and the past. 20 years have been scary for a lot of people the world is changing in a lot of ways we hear a lot of terrible things going on so it only makes sense for people to seek a community and to look for answers and some people just it's easy to fall down over any kind of rabbit hole i know i go on youtube and like 10 hours later i've watched every recommended video On there, And I feel like it's not that dissimilar, really. Um, I watched a video from the New York Times, I believe. And it said that if you know someone that's really believing QAnon, don't just cut them out and don't mock them and make them feel bad. Just ask them questions. Ask them what, you know, why are you thinking that? Where did you see this at? And then to try to provide them with information and I'm not saying that's the easiest thing to do. I'm not saying that they'll immediately believe you and then disavow QAnon, but it's a small step in helping someone leave that world behind.
1: Right, and I think just to add to that, don't claim that everyone that is politically opposite of you is a QAnon supporter. Surveys show that most Republicans and conservatives are not QAnon believers. So painting all conservatives, all Republicans with this broad brush of crazy conspiracy theorists, all that does is make them very insular and make them think, you guys are really after us because not only are you saying that we're racist, we're homophobic, we're bigoted, all this other stuff, now you think that all of us believe in this wacky conspiracy theory that we don't believe in.
0: I don't know what the answer is to to end this mass polarization between groups of people.
1: I think that one thing that can definitely help is just having open conversations and making sure that you are not demonizing people that don't line up with you on fiscal and social issues. Not everyone that disagrees with you is evil. Not everyone that disagrees with you is a villain. And not everyone that disagrees with you is trying to do active harm to someone else sometimes you just believe differently than someone else. And in America, we have to accept that that is okay because America was built on a commonality. America was built on us dropping our individual labels, our individual identities to be one America, to be United States of America. And as long as we see ourselves as Republican, Democrat, all other identities that we have attached to ourselves, We're never going to see eye to eye.
0: That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about the QAnon conspiracy and its rise to internet infamy. Make sure you click the subscribe button. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube every Wednesday with a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at Crime Corruption Cocktails and on Twitter at Charade Inc. Please consider donating to our Patreon. This will help us get better equipment and bring higher quality content to you. We appreciate any amount you're able to give. This is Jenny and Dell signing off. Stay safe.